0: All right, so it is another Wednesday night, saints, and in the middle of a week, it can, we can get busy, we can get lost in the hustle and bustle, and we can forget to take that time to slow down, to pray, to remember he's on the throne, to remember he's in control. We just got to do that in prayer uh, and worship time, and what a blessing that really was. And that for us to not take for granted that blessing that we still right now have that freedom to gather right now we're going to open the lord's word we're going to get in that we're going to study it let's not take that for granted ever please 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 and brothers and sisters here tonight i can't stress enough the need for us to value his word and his word alone and how that needs to be the anchor Because I think far too easily we can get swayed by our own emotions, we can get swayed by the world, we can get swayed by social media, passing fads, sensations, all these different things that come and we have to remember we serve the God of in the beginning, he's sovereign, he's in control, he's Alpha and Omega, and we have to put our trust in him. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 2 tonight, and I titled the message, To Trust, because it is important for us to think about what we're actually trusting in. Are we trusting in him alone? Are we trusting in his word alone or not? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together for a time that we can be in your word. Father God, I just ask Holy Spirit, fill me, get me out of the way that we can just focus on what you have for your people, Lord. And I just pray that you take distractions away and help us to just focus on your word and focus on what you would have for us tonight, Lord. That we would anchor in you, that we would surrender to you, and that we would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Psalms. It's where we're going to be living for a little while. There's 150, so... We're going to be here for a little while, friends. Uh, And before we get started, uh, I'm going to ask you to take out your homework now. Homework check. Who did their homework from last week? Did you ponder the three areas of the charge that was given at the end of the message? Now, I want to be clear when I do this, and I would say this to youth too. It's not about shame or feeling guilty if you didn't do that or if you didn't go there. But this is a reminder that we have to engage with his word daily. And you need to realize that the sermons that you are hearing, the Bible studies that you're going to, he has you hearing them for a reason. And it's far too easy to just listen while you're in church, take notes while you're in church. I've been guilty of it. Then you go home, you do your life, you go, the next week comes, you take your page, you take your next page of notes, but you never actually go back to the notes. Or you never actually go back to ponder what you heard. And we read books, we watch TV, we watch shows, we get on Instagram, we get on Facebook, we do all these things. And as we're doing them, we then are suddenly letting the world speak as an authority rather than the word of God, rather than God being the soul of authority. And then we're quickly saying, God is telling me to do this. God's nudging me to do this. God's giving me this. But you haven't even opened up his word. That's where he speaks. That's where he communes with us. So that's how this ties to the charge and the the different things from last week. Because it's just a chance for you to have some prayerful scaffolding to ponder what you're studying in the church. To keep his word, the lamp and light to your feet and path. It's a chance to keep his word and not deny his name. Remember that theme that we saw in Revelation 3. Because not denying his name is doing the word. Doing the word is obeying the word. So in Psalm 1, did you pray about your relationship with you and the Word of God? Do you delight in the Word of God? Do you meditate on it day and night? Where are you planted? Where are you growing? Did you ask God to search your heart for areas you might be walking, standing, or sitting in sin? Number two, who did you pray for this week that is on that path of walking? Stand, sit, and sin away from God rather than the path of kneeling, praying, and standing in Christ alone. Who needs salvation? Who can you be praying that they would come to the Lord Jesus, a savior of their life? And the third, did you meditate on his word this last week? Are you just doing your reading plan so you can check off? I read five chapters today, Woohoo! Or are you studying and slowing down and remembering to meditate to ponder, and to prayerfully chew on his word. So if you didn't get to do it last week, you can do it this week, you can do it all the time, just keep doing it, but saints, we can't be a church that just engages in his word when we're in this room. It's not gonna work, we can't. We can't fulfill the door of service and evangelism that he's called us to, if that's all we do. I remember when I first got saved, Calvary Chapel, Hudson Valley, whenever we got together, it was something that struck me so beautifully. Anytime we got together, the Bible came out. If somebody was going to be talking about something going on in their life, the Bible came out. If I was talking to a brother in the Lord and saying, I'm thinking about doing this, the Bible came out. We have to keep the word at the center. We can't conceal carry our Bible. We need to open carry. Amen? Amen. Let's open carry, folks. So tonight we're going to tackle Psalm 2. And as you will see, this is really the second part introduction of the book of Psalms. So in Psalm 1, we saw God's law. We saw the word of God. We saw what it is to delight in the word of God. In Psalm 2, we'll see what it is to defy the word of God and what it is to resist and rebel against the word of God. While Psalm 1 isn't quoted so much in the New Testament, Psalm 2 is. You're going to see it in there about... 18 times. I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture verses. I should, should have made a flyer or something with these because I'm going to give you a bunch, but dig in later. Matthew, in Matthew, you got 317, 723, 17,5. In Mark, and if you need them, come to me after, 111 and 9,7. In Luke, so it was 111 and 9,7. In Luke, 322 and 9,35 in John 149 in Acts 425 to 26 1333 Hebrews 1:2, 1, 1, 15 and 55 5. sounds like I'm doing a bingo call and in Revelation 226 to 27 1118 125 and 1915 That was an intentional moment of giving you more scripture cross-references than I normally will, and I know I give a lot, and sometimes go quick, come talk to me after if you need it. But the whole point of that, folks, is again, this is another opportunity now for you to engage with the Word during the week away from here. Go look those up, go dig in, dig deeper, dig deeper into the Word of God. Psalm 2 is also called the Messianic Psalm. It's also known as a Royal Psalm because we see the coronation of Jesus King, King Jesus, Messiah, amidst the rebellion of nations rejecting him. While there's no clear author seen in the text itself, Acts 4.25 reveals the author is David. And that's the beautiful thing. If you notice, Scripture just proves Scripture. Those cross-references in your Bible, read them. The psalm itself can be seen in a few splits. The rejection of the Messiah, particularly his first coming... Then the second half showing the prophecy of his second coming and the wrath and judgment to come and closing with a call to serve and trust Jesus to escape the wrath to come. Within the psalm, we see different voices taking place. We see the voice of the nations in rebellion. We see the voice of God observing their vain rebellion. We see the voice of God to the son of God as the son recounts what the father told him, and then we see the voice of the Holy Spirit convincing, teaching, rebuking and exhorting unto laying all our trust in Jesus. So we look at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us why do the nations rage verse 1 and the people plot a vain thing david starts this psalm with a rhetorical question and the sentiment of this psalm as we know that david's the author it might be tied to some of the defeats that he got to see happen in 2nd samuel there's a few different if you go in chapter 5 8 and 10 you'll see these different ones it may have come from that time but david asks why Truly, the tone implies, how? How could they seek to go against the God of creation? The rage that we see there is the banding of the nations coming together. Their plots imagining, devising how they can come against God. How will it turn out? Vain. Nothing. Right away, it's a reminder their rebellion has no chance of success. Yet, they press on. Yet, they seek to try to take on the sovereign God, but there's no chance of success. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying. Now, we see the details of who specifically in the nations are raging and plotting. Who is it? The kings and the rulers. They set themselves on high, they come together, And they want to go against, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, God, against his anointed. Anointed there is Mashiach, Messiah. Human nature against the God of creation. Human nature against Jesus, Messiah. Since the time of the Tower of Babel, men have banded together to be against God. They have that idea, well, I can't do it on my own, but if we all get together, we can take them down. We can do it. No dice. Not going to happen. And if we think back to the Sunday, John 1.1, and it's beautiful how if we look, he ties everything together. The God of in the beginning, the God of control, saw the need to cover sin. He saw that. He gives his son. He guides. He keeps. The Savior comes so that we can be forgiven. Yet, we see it at Babel. We see it when they crucify Christ. We'll see it Revelation 19, 11 at the Battle of Armageddon. Men want to try to fight God. And it's always done in vanity. Verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. See, what they say when they come together is, we shall break their bonds, cast away their cords from us. Rebellion. They're like wild animals trying to be free and not restrained or constrained. They want to break the bonds because they see the anointed one. They see Messiah Jesus as a bondage maker rather than the bondage breaker that he is. They say, he's putting me in bondage. They see the word of God's counsel. They see the direction that the Lord gives as constraints. It constrains what they want to do. Let us break their bonds. Let us be free to do all our abominations. Let us be free to be our own gods. Let us be free from any restraint placed among us. Does that sound familiar to you? A little bit. The more I study the word of God, the more I realize he uses it to speak to us. And in this, it's such a reminder. Don't be surprised by what's going on. Instead, focus on the eternal and remember when we look at scripture like this, he's saying, hey, I know everything that's going to go on. Human nature has been the same. Instead, just look at my word because then you have comfort. Then you're reminded he's in control. The word of God is truly the only salve for us when we look at what's going on in this world. Nothing else is going to give answers, give direction or give understanding. And notice I'm not even saying the Bible. I'm saying the word of God because that's how we should think and say. I'm not knocking the word Bible, but just think about it. It is the word of God. It's 66 books right here that you get that guide your life. It's his word. Ponder that. How powerful is that? That's what we get. That's what we get to be the self. Now for them, they don't want that. They don't want that counsel. Break the bonds, cast it away. They don't want that. And saints, this is why I charge us, proudly profess I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proudly confess it. In 2023 culture, I love saying I'm a slave to Christ. I'm in bondage to Jesus Christ. Only through the blood of Christ is there ever truly freedom. Now the rulers, they're plotting and raging. They're going against him. Pulse check for rush. Where within you do you rage against Christ? What? Where within you do you rage against Christ? Where within you do you rebel against the will of God in order to keep embers of sinful pleasure burning in your life? We have to ask ourselves that because far too often as we look at scriptures, far too often when we look at something like this, we can get on our Christian high horse. Oh, the world is so crazy. The world is such a mess. They're so crazy. They're... Get the plank out of your own eye. Look at yourself. Where do you have sin that looks like that? We can't forget that. We have to take stock. We have to pray. We have to seek his refining daily. Because we have to deny ourselves daily. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. As Spurgeon says of this, earth loves not her rightful monarch, but clings to the usurper's way. The terrible conflicts of the last days will illustrate both the world's love of sin And Jehovah God's power to give the kingdom to his only begotten. How does God respond to the rebellion? Verse four He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. The Lord used there is Adonai, sovereign. He is sovereign, and he laughs. Now, the laughter that you see there, it's not a laughter of arrogance, but it's that laughter of, really? Seriously? Really? You're going to, really? He sees the confusion of their ideas. He sees the futile resistance to the omnipotent and sovereign, great I am. But God has no fear for these rulers. For he who sits in heaven, notice where he puts It says, then he, uh, sorry, verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He sits on the heavens. He is on the throne. He's not nervous. He's in perfect peace. Saints, throughout history, people have opposed God and his kingdom. And throughout history, I'm going to tell you a secret, God's remained on the throne. And he's not going anywhere. He stayed there. And he shall be there. Somebody said it. I'm going to say it. Forever. Forever. And we have to realize that when we, again, look at our culture, when we look at what's going on. As I was reading Psalm 2 and and in preparation for this, I'm like, wow, it's like our world right now. Raging, rebellion against God. But God's on the throne. Not but, and God's on the throne. He's in control. Verse 5. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God's anointed has been appointed, so there's not going to be any disappointment. That's what we see right there. God's wrath of his righteousness and justice is true justice. We have to understand that, because in a culture where we have social justice and all these justices, we need to realize biblical justice surpasses any notion that man can have of justice. Biblical justice is the reality of the duality we saw when we started Psalm 1 last week. Eternity with him or perish eternally without him. That's the reality of the duality. That's it. There's no gray, there's no other things. Biblical justice is God of creation sending his son, giving everyone the chance to see, to hear, to repent and believe and be made a new creation for his glory. The wrath that we see that he's speaking of here, it's a reminder to accept God's judgment of sin at the cross and trust him or to accept God's judgment on self and stay in your sin. Reality of the duality. Boom, boom. That's justice. That's the only justice there is. Now the holy hill of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Who is the king of Zion? The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Messiah, the high... King high priest by the order of Melchizedek. That's who that is. And in verse six, we see, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The coronation of King Jesus takes place. It's a beautiful moment. And when is this rule? Remember, it's a messianic psalm, it's a royal psalm. This is a prophecy of Jesus to come. It goes further Zion. Jerusalem, guess when that is? Revelation, when the Messiah will reign in the millennial reign, the millennial kingdom. All right here. This is why we have to be in the Old Testament. Folks who want to say, you can just focus on the New Testament. The Old Testament doesn't apply. This, if youth was here, I, I, I always would do the, the little cheesy thing. Okay, guys, the Old Testament is the New Testament. No one knows. It. Concealed. Concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament. Okay, there we go. Good. That's what we would do in youth group. Thank you for letting my youth leader brain have a moment. But we have to be students of the Old Testament. We have to be cherishing it and loving it because it ties together and weaves together God's word. Because again, it's the word of God from book one to book 66, from Genesis to Revelation. Verse seven. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The enthroned king speaks the words the father spoke to him. I will declare the decree. Important to note, this decree, God's decrees are sovereign. God's decrees don't need consensus. God's decrees don't need a vote as the rulers would need. God's decrees are just and God makes no mistakes. And he says here, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. This is where I get excited at how God works. Turn to John, the book that we're in on Sundays. John 1. You can't make this up. It's exciting. John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Do you remember what we saw on Sunday? Jesus was with God before time began, before all was. And here we see, today I have begotten you. That begotten is important because begotten means that Christ has to come in order to be begotten. And where we are in John this Sunday, we will see him come in verse 14 of chapter one. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Christ was begotten for a specific time and for a specific purpose. The word as flesh, the word that we could hear God's mind for his people that we could see our Heavenly Father's love for us, that we could then have the bridge unto eternity with our precious King, that we could have the blessed hope of the rapture, and as we read Psalm 2, the blessed hope of that millennial reign where we will reign with King Jesus. And I just show how that ties to John. We sometimes get lost looking for this experience with the Holy Spirit, and there are the gifts of the Spirit, and they should be done biblically. But this right here, this is an experience with the Holy Spirit orchestrating and weaving together and tying the word that we're studying as a church body. Verse eight, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. God promises Christ complete victory and rule over all. He says, you are going to have complete victory and rule over all. Now he's gonna have heard that And he will hear that at another time. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. And when we turn there and look at verses 8 to 11, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Right here, we see Satan's final attempt to sway our king. And we see God has his sovereign plan, which we see in Psalm 2, that he's going to have the nations for the inheritance. The ends of the earth will be your possession. But at the same time, the enemy tries to have a counterfeit for what God wills and ordains. One man, one woman, one flesh. Versus create your own gender, create your preference, be one with yourself, which is ultimately all selfish. I'm using that as one example, but we have to see there's God's way or Satan's destruction. Once again, the reality of the duality. That's just the way it goes. And it's not just coincidence that we see this. The enemy comes to the Lord and tries to give him, look, I'll give you everything. You can have it all. You just have to worship me. That's not how that goes. God knows. And what does he battle with? What does he fight with in Matthew 4? The word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. May we be a people who fight with. It is written. Not emotion, not self. It is written. And here in this portion of the psalm, we see the joyful security of Christ's promised victory. Verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The rule that Christ shall have. Now this verse right here, verse 9, is spoken in the New Testament by none other than Jesus himself. And the way he speaks of it confirms that this is a messianic psalm. And we're going to turn there. Turn to Revelation 2. And we're going to look at uh, chapter, chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And when we look at this... We're seeing now the church of Thyatira. And we're going to see what the Lord says here in verse 24. Now, to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him... I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. That's what we're seeing right now. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now in this, Christ explains to this church, which is corrupt, they were known... For their work unto God, their love, their service, their faith, their patience. I thought I just said they were corrupt. Yet, they allowed false teaching unto the point of tolerating it for truth. And this is important to note. We can't compromise, saints. The authority has to be the word of God alone. For judgment will come. That's why I am praying as I'm starting this journey as your pastor that we strive to be the Church of Philadelphia. Keep his word. Don't deny his name. Because the second we allow ourselves to adopt teachings that pull and abuse and misuse scripture, it's the second we get on that slope of walk, stand, sit to sin and destruction. And we have to be on guard. We have to be diligent. We have to be faithful, which is why he says, he who has an ear, let him So we see the judgment that will come during Christ's millennial reign and the power he shall have, a rod of iron. That's a beautiful image and that reminds us that the royal son has absolute power. It's not a rod that's flimsy, a rod of iron. The smashing of the potter's vessel would be interesting for them at that time to hear because ancient Eastern kings, they would have a ritual of breaking clay jars when they would go to the war and that breaking of the clay jar would resemble that they were going to have victory over the enemy because they break the jar and then that means that their gods are going to give them the victory. No, that's not that. And that's another example where man has a way of thinking things will work out beautifully. But as we see here, the one breaking has the final victory. God, Jesus, Messiah. Because all is finished at the cross. We are all finished at the cross. We're either finished unto eternity with him or away with him. and, And it goes on your choice. Do you surrender or do you rebel? John 1, 1 through 5, which we looked at this weekend, it showed us the deity of Christ. It showed us his oneness with God. And his status as the begotten, what does it do? It builds the bridge for us to be one with the triune God. And when he returns in his glorious second coming, we who've been raptured up and gathered up with the king, we get to come and rule with our mighty king. Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, read it and rejoice. See the promises that we have. See the hope that we have. Dig in there. And you need to do that because in the world you can get, oh, this world. No, look to the hope. Look to the blessed promises that are coming for us in Christ. Now, this messianic and royal psalm captures yet again another vital reminder for all to come to surrender to Christ. Because again, if he's going to have this rule, if he's going to have this rod of iron, if he's going to dash the pieces that are going to be broken, Surrender to him. There's only one way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Then the psalm, right after that broken vessel image, shifts verse 10 to counsel. Now, therefore, hold. When you see a therefore in scripture, what should you do? Always go back to what was before it. So if you open your Bible and the first verse you read is a therefore, sorry to tell you, don't read forward, reads backwards. Go backwards, see what was there. So if we take this, we're going to do an exercise. So what, is the, what was before this, therefore? So you want to rebel. Rebellion's going to be done in vain. You want to break away from what you perceive as bondage when the bondage that Christ gives us is actually the only freedom. Even Jesus says it, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But what do we see before this? They think the yoke of Christ is intolerable. They can't take it. Yet for the saved sinner through the blood of Christ, it's light. It's a joy to be in that. Realize God's on the throne. He has appointed King Jesus. Jesus reigns. Jesus will reign forever. Judgments come into all who remain in rebellion to him. That's what happened before. Now we can look at the now, therefore. What should you do then? Given all of that we just went through, what should you do? Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Be wise, a.k.a. wake up. Stop. In light of verses four through nine, surrender to Christ, trust in him. What would their wisdom be? Be instructed and uh, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. What's their wisdom? What's the wise thing to do? Submit to the anointed king you seek to rebel against. Give up your foolish defiance. That's what it is to be wise. And do what? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. We're going to hold right there. So serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. At the start, we see their rebellion. And if you think about the cause of rebellion, it comes because of fear. Rebellion comes from fear. For truly, these rulers fear losing control. They fear not being able to be who they want to be. They fear not being able to do what they want. And when that fear comes, anger brews, aggression brews. Look at our culture today. If you try to say, you can't do that. It doesn't really honor God. Let's talk. What do you mean that doesn't honor God? This is my truth. How dare you tell me this? Fear. Fear. Anger rises, rage rises, violence ensues. The chaos of the world is a heart issue. And it's a heart issue of hearts in rebellion to the Lord God Almighty. Any problem? Go back to the heart in rebellion to the Lord God Almighty. And that heart needs to come under the word live in the word, abide in the word, follow the word. Yet, David tells them here, serve the Lord with fear. And that fear that they're serving with, they realize he is. It's a fear That It's what we saw this past Sunday. They see his deity. They see his humanity. They see him coming in the flesh for you and me. And that's the perfect love that casts out fear. And too many times that verse is said and it's the charge of, that's why we have to just have love and you can't condemn that. No, the perfect love that casts out fear replaces it with another fear, a fear of God. And it's a reverent, awe-filled fear. And that's the rejoice with trembling. Because what does that look like? Proper fear and adoration is reverence and awe of the most holy God. That's what that is. And then that joy, it causes that tremble because it's in awe and reverence that he is all. The focus shifts from rising self, from gaining for self, from ruling for self, to submission, to obeying, to yielding. He's on high. He must increase. I must decrease. That's what that is. And that leads to kiss the son. That is a kiss of submission. It's a kiss to royalty as a sign of homage and submission. It's a kiss that points to why the traitor kiss that Judas does should really... It's sad when you look at that in the context of what this kiss really is. Because it's a kiss that places us under the authority of King Jesus and simultaneously gives us the closest intimacy you could ever imagine with the Savior, King Jesus. David is saying here, submit to God. If you don't, kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. You'll perish in the way. Think of the end of Psalm 1. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. For His wrath shall come. Judgment will come. It's going to come. So, saints, we have to not go, though, when we think of this wrath with the idea that culture has. God's so evil and mean. He's so nasty and rude. His wrath, he's always talking about wrath and judgment. Go back to what we talked about earlier tonight of God's perfect justice. It's not a judgment that he just says, I'm going to kill you all. No, he's just and fair. He invites all to receive the gift. You either receive or reject. You decide your eternal verdict. For when we remain in defiance to God, we're eternally broken. When we trust God, we're eternally blessed. Reality of duality. End of verse 12. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The trust is in God. To trust in man is a promise of destruction. To trust in God is a promise of construction because he constructs a life. And I like thinking of it personally as construction because construction's messy. Construction's noisy at times. People can get hurt on construction sites. People die on construction sites sometimes. And that's the life of a believer. Because you are under the blood doesn't mean no harm shall hit you. Doesn't mean you can speak whatever you want to happen. God is sovereign. We don't get to do that. I'm not God. I can't say, in the name of Jesus, I demand this to happen. I'm not God. God is sovereign. We have to put our trust in him. To trust is to trust with all, no compromise. Sunday, I charge us all to go back to our in the beginning with God. Where's your trust? Your trust has to be in the word of God alone. That's where your trust needs to be. And that needs to be enough. Because if that's not enough, then you're saying Christ isn't enough. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I need God, and I need to be able to get high every now and then. Because, you know, I just need that buzz every now and then. No, that's not how that goes. Well, I need God, but I also need these books because I'm learning how to, like, do some self-help stuff. No, you just need the Word of God alone. And it breaks my heart how much in our culture today it's so easy to take scripture and make it seem like you're using it the right way, but you're not, and it twists and the person falls. It's too easy, which is why it just needs to be the counsel of the word of God. Because if we don't make that first, guess what you're doing? You're leaving your first love. And that is a result that happens. Paul warns Timothy of them being turned aside to fables, turned aside to false teachings. That's a charge I got on March 5th when I was ordained. And it's one that I think about and pray about regularly. Because that's the time we're in. And your trust has to be in the word of God alone. For if it's in anything else, it's like you're the rebellious rulers that we're seeing in this psalm. Seeking to justify what you want to do. The intro of the book of Psalms is really, I think we can say Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Both of them is the intro. One starts with blessed. One ends with blessed. Psalm 1 is the slope of sin and delighting in God and his word. You either go down the slope or you delight in the word. And Psalm 2 shows us rejecting God's authority. But the blessed, we get the warning, submit to him, trust in him. There's the blessing. Psalm 1 is the righteous man juxtaposed with the sinner. Psalm 2 is the disobedient and ungodly world juxtaposed with the righteousness of the perfect judge. Psalm 1, we saw the chaff being driven away and drifting, just blown away. In Psalm 2, and with that, I want to remind you, actually, remember, what's your root system? Because the chaff doesn't have that. What's your hidden root system? Just want to remind us of that so we check where are we anchored. Psalm 2, we see the broken pieces of the potter's vessel. How do they get Broken. Because they're in rebellion. How do you avoid that? Guess what? Anchor in Christ alone. And it doesn't mean life is all easy. I want to remind you of that. But it does mean when things get hard and you feel like you're broken, you've got access to the one who will give you the endurance. You've got access to the one who will give you guidance, who will give you comfort, who as you go into the word, you'll find the encouragement to say, I'm ready to go another day. I'm ready to face what you have. And you're able to say and understand what Paul meant when he said, when the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee. We finally get that. So the intro to the book of Psalms gives us the anchor for this book, this book of songs to the Lord, this book of worship and prayer. The anchor is the word of God and Christ alone. That's the anchor. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Where is your trust? Is it in Christ alone or Christ plus blank? It's a question we have to ask. Next week, we're going to be delving into Psalm 3. Before we do, your charge, your homework. One, turn Psalm 2 into a prayer for every ruler, every leader on this earth, anybody that you know that's in authority. Turn it into a prayer for them that they would come to a place of reverent and awe-filled submission to Jesus Messiah. And that's the beauty of scripture. We can take scripture and turn that into prayer, to see that and pray for those leaders. Two, search your heart and prayerfully ask God, and this is a scary one to ask, where am I in rebellion to you? Lord, show me where I'm in rebellion. Show me where I'm resisting how you call me to live by the word of God. These first two Psalms that we looked at are rooted in God's authority. Where am I resisting? And lastly, where is my trust, Father? Do I really trust in you alone? Is the word of God truly enough for me? Or do I need to leave it a little for sensation, for emotion, for the lies of the world? What have I let creep in? that's going to turn into a crack and split of compromise. What have I let in? Are there any areas, Lord, that I've left my first love? These are things we have to think about. We have to rekindle the embers that lit the fire of your in the beginning with God. Because I think when, you know, fellowship with people, when you talk about when you first get saved... You so often hear in the testimony, I remember when I got first saved, I couldn't put the Bible down. I just wanted more. I just wanted more. I just wanted more. Rekindle that ember. Rekindle it. It's still there. Get the whatever the, you, you know, I'm not the nature guy. Get the poker thing, whatever it is. Poke the fire and get back into that hunger for God's word. Because we're too busy putting other things on our plates right now. And this is something heavy, heavy, heavy as your pastor on my heart for this church. In a time where there's so much compromise going on in the world, Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill has to stay on the word. We have to stay on the word of God and the word of God alone. It has to be enough. It has to be what you hunger for first. It has to be what you crave. It has to be what you share because this is the manna he's given us. Whatever your favorite meal is, think of it every time you open this because that's what this is. And you can never have too much unlike your favorite meal. So see how good that is? You can go and not have indigestion or get bloated. But really, really go through and search your hearts this week and really prayerfully ponder where am I letting rebellion in? Where am I slipping away from the first love? And what leaders do I need to be praying for that they come to that reverent, awe-filled submission to Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have preserved this precious word for us, Lord, that we have it. Thank you, Lord, that we can freely read it and study it, Lord. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution for coming to your word, Lord. We know that you faithfully give them the strength to endure, Lord, and I pray that when the time of persecution comes for us, we faithfully endure, Lord. God, search our hearts. Lord, you've shown me the areas that I just need to dig into you more and seek you more. Search the hearts of this church, Lord, not just the people here, but the whole body of Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill, Lord, that we would be that light on the hill, Lord, but to be that light, we've got to just be in your word alone, Lord, and for 20 years, the word's been steadfastly preached, and I pray, Lord, that you help me to keep that going, but that you help to light the fire within the families, Lord, within the people of this church, within the men to lead their families in the word, to water their brides with the word, Lord, that we wouldn't be in rebellion. Lord, that we would be who you need us to be. Because we don't know when you're coming, Lord, but that we would be about your commission, tarrying joyfully. So help us, Lord. Search us. May we be a people who surrender. And may we be a people who rejoice with trembling. And may we be a people who kiss you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.